Well, amen. Uh, good morning, Mission Church. If I don't know you, my name is Ryan, and uh, I have the privilege of leading our young adults ministry here. And uh, what a beautiful uh, just evidence of God's grace um, as we saw the Clays baptize their kids. Um, we actually get to do both sacraments today. So we get to celebrate baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper at the end of this service. So <clears throat> we are really excited to do that. Um, Hey, happy Memorial Day. It's Family Worship Sunday. Um, so glad to see so many faces here on Memorial Day. You guys are uh, holier than everybody else. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, starting out with a false gospel. Um, no, if you got a Bible, uh, I would love for you to open it to Galatians chapter 5. And if you are able, um, after you get settled in, I would love for you to stand as we read God's word together. So we are going to be in Galatians 5, verses 7 through 15. And if you're with me, say amen. amen. Paul writes, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let me pray. Father, thank you for um, this morning. Thank you for the gift of uh, celebrating baptism, Lord, that we get to um, have a, a holy sacrament that you've given us uh, to celebrate um, being buried with you in your death and being raised to new life uh, because of your resurrection. And Lord, I um, come before your holy temple, which is you, Jesus, with thanksgiving. And um, God, you have exalted your name and your word above all things. And that's what we want to do this morning is I want to submit to your word and your name. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would speak your word powerfully. Get me out of the way. Um, I cannot raise somebody from the dead, but you can. And so I ask that you would do that this morning as we look at your word, and uh, I pray that you would move in this place in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> so parents in the room, uh, don't fret. Uh, we will not have any weird illustrations for verse 12. I'm sure when y'all read that, you got a little nervous, uh, but we're gonna keep it PG in here. Uh, I asked Pastor Will this week if um, he gave me this passage as a graduation present because I just graduated seminary and he was like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, so <laughs> I just want to thank Pastor Will publicly for this awesome gift. Uh, no, but it's, I really am excited to walk through this text. I think it's really helpful for where the church um, finds herself today in our modern culture and I think we can learn a lot from Paul here. So we're going to look at this passage in two sections. Uh, verses 7 through 12, the offense of the cross. And verses 13 through 15, the freedom of the cross. Uh, so last week, if you weren't with us, we looked at the first six verses of chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 5. 
uh, where the Apostle Paul began to explain the freedom that Jesus came to give his people. Freedom from being under the old covenant law, freedom from being imprisoned under that law, freedom from our own form of works righteousness that we all attempt to do in our sin. And so we're seeing in Galatians that that works righteousness, that false gospel that we on our defaults when we wake up believe can often come back into our lives even after we've believed the gospel of grace. Which brings us to the probably biggest underlying question of what Paul is really answering in this letter, which is what did the death of Jesus accomplish for us? That's really what he's been answering. And he's telling these young Christians, he's been showing them how Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross in our place did not just begin their salvation, it is their salvation. It didn't just start their salvation, but it finishes their salvation. The first words that we have recorded from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, believe the good news. The word gospel was used when a new king uh, was announced because of a military victory or a new world order was started because of some significant event. And that's what makes Christianity so unique is it's not an announcement of new ethics or an announcement of a way to become enlightened. It's an announcement of what's been done in history by Jesus of Nazareth, a real person. It's what's been done for us. That's the good news. It's interesting, when you read other religions and how they got started, there's a real common theme with the founders. Typically, the religious founder um, was able to learn a certain way to become enlightened or to be saved or to live a moral life. The Bible is completely different. Jesus claims to be the one true God who became a human and broke into history to save us. That's different. And so, specifically for this chapter, we won't rehash all that Paul's been teaching, but to understand what he's saying in our section here, we, uh, we need to see what he said last week in verses two through four. So look at verse two with me real quick. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you, no profit to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So what he means by if you accept circumcision is under what we would call the old covenant, God gave a physical mark, a physical sign of that covenant, which was the act of circumcision. So that started with Abraham and it went through all the male descendants of Israel. And it was a sign to symbolize that they belonged to the covenant people of God. What the Jewish teachers though are getting wrong is it was for Israel to remember what God had promised them. What these Jewish teachers were getting wrong, Israel didn't belong to God because of their circumcision, they belonged to God because of his promise. That's a really important order. The sign of the covenant came after the promise. That's what he talked about in chapter three. 
The promise was that Abraham's offspring would be a blessing to the world. It would be the Messiah that would come through Israel's line and would redeem the world. That was the point of the promise. So here's what Paul's saying here. If you add the act of circumcision, just the act of circumcision, as a means, as a reason for why God accepts you and not solely by Jesus' finished work, what you're really saying is Jesus is just our teacher, not our savior. That's what you're saying. You're saying he's not actually our savior, he's our teacher to learn from. Now, he does become your teacher, but only if he's your savior. They're saying he's a good moral example, but not an all-sufficient savior. And his point is, if you add any work to the cross, even as small as circumcision, if you add anything to the grace of the gospel, then Christ will be of no advantage to you because he's not your savior anymore. He's just another moral teacher. And you might say, well, dang, that's pretty extreme just by adding circumcision. And that's true, it does sound extreme, but Paul's concern is not just theological here. That is his primary concern, is the theological aspect of this false gospel. But he's also concerned about the relational part, the horizontal relationships in the church. And we've already seen this in Galatia. This was happening. Because the Jewish teachers were teaching circumcision by equal salvation, it was creating spiritual classes. It was creating the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. It was separating the Christians in the church. It was giving the Jewish Christians a boast over the Gentiles because they could say, ha, look at us, we're circumcised. We've been following God since we were babies. We've been accepted before God since we were babies. We've been following the law the whole, our whole lives. Look at our resumes. We had the right education. We had the right upbringing. We had the right way of, of viewing God from the beginning. That's what they're being able to say. So what's going on? Just by adding circumcision as a means of being justified, they've corrupted the gospel of grace. Religion creates spiritual classes. And so my question is, is this happening today in the church? I would say yes. For example, if you look at the mainline progressive churches, uh, they're basically saying, ah, we've taken the main cores, the core teachings of Christianity, like loving your neighbor, forgiving one another, you know, the main principles, but all those offensive doctrines like God's wrath and sin and atonement, we don't need those. We've gotten rid of those because we're more enlightened now, right? Those are primitive old doctrines. We don't need to talk about those things. But what you're doing when you do that is you're really no different from the Judaizers because you're trying to make Jesus just a moral example to teach us how to be saved instead of the reason why we are saved. You're removing the offense of the cross. You're removing the offense of Jesus' claims. Paul says in verse seven, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. He says, you were running well after your savior. But this new persuasion is not from him, it's from man. 
you're not listening to your savior. You're not listening to his original words. Generally, the message of religion is okay with people. You know why? Because the message of religion is, here are the set of rules to live by. The ones who are good at following them get in and are, are accepted. And the ones who don't, well, you should have been stronger. You should have done more. You should have studied harder. And the reason people are generally okay with that message is because it's not offensive. Telling somebody they can save themselves is not offensive. And that, what, what religion does is it creates the rich class and the poor class, the elites and the outsiders. And what happens after religion is our sinful hearts begin to compare each other, right? At least I'm not that guy. At least I'm living a better life than my neighbor, right? That is envious, it creates division, it creates jealousy, it creates mockery, it creates gossip. It doesn't create true love, which we're gonna see in a little bit. There's nothing offensive about saying you can save yourself and that's why people are generally okay with religion. But the message of the cross, the cross says you are so lost and hopeless that only the death of the Son of God can save you. That's offensive. And there's a lot of people in today's world trying to take away that offense because it gets people's blood boiling. The word for offense in verse 11 is the word scandalon. It's where we get the word scandalous from. The cross is offensive, it's scandalous because it hurts our pride. It ruins our idea, this image of ourself in our mind that we're self-righteous. It shatters any chance of us being good people and it causes a scoffing reaction. Whenever someone is offended by Jesus, that's actually a good sign that you're hearing what he's saying. If you're not offended by Jesus, you're not hearing from Jesus. You're telling me nothing I've done up to this point counts. Who did he say that to? Not the tax collectors. He said that to Nicodemus in John 3. He said that to the Pharisee. He said that to the guy that on the outside seemed to have it all together. He had the resume, he had the accomplishments, and yet Jesus says, you can't even begin to understand who I am unless you look at the cross. That's offensive. In verse nine, Paul uses a metaphor of a little leaven leavens the whole lump which would have been really familiar for Jews from the Old Testament. They have a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which means it just doesn't have fermentation in it. And um, his point is, all it takes is a little leaven in the dough to make it something completely different. Uh, for the kids in the room, for a modern example, if you were baking cookies, right? And so you had your cookie dough and you were about to separate the cookies out and put it in the oven. And then your mean older brother comes in and puts mud in the dough, right? And then you break them all up and put them in the oven and cook them, what do you have? Mud cookies, right? You've ruined the whole batch just by a little mud going in the dough. That's exactly what Paul is saying. A little leaven in the dough makes it completely different. So Paul's point here is when you add the smallest work to the cross, it's no longer grace. 
It's no longer good news. It corrupts everything. It's a view of the cross that cannot save you because then Christianity becomes like every other religion. You'll have spiritual classes. You'll have the elite and the non-elite. You won't have a loving community, which we'll get to in a second. And if Paul hasn't shown that he's serious yet, he really shows he's serious in verse 12. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. <laughs> now, Paul is speaking in hyperbole, uh, but he is firmly telling these false teachers, if you think circumcision will actually save you, why not just go all the way with it? Just go a little bit further with those scissors, right? That's what he's saying. And this might seem harsh, but let me give you an example of why he's so frustrated. Last week, my dad had to get a uh, hip replacement surgery, so he's been recovering from that. He's fine, don't worry. Um, if you haven't known anyone who has gotten a hip replacement surgery or something like that, it's exactly what it sounds like. They give you a literal new hip. Um, but imagine if before that surgery, my dad was at the doctor and the doctor said, hey, I think you need a whole new hip. It would be like my dad saying, thanks for the advice, but are there any stretches I could do to fix this? Could I do one squat a day and just make this brokenness go away? No, of course not. All of you would say the same thing. Dad, your hip is broken. Your little Pilates class in the living room will not fix your broken hip. You need a new hip, right? And that's exactly why Paul is so mad because they're, the gospel is Jesus, the Lord of the universe, put on human flesh, lived a perfectly righteous life that you could never live. He did everything the law required, including getting circumcised. He was perfectly righteous. He came to die for you in your place so that you could live. His perfect life is your righteousness. Why would you think that circumcision could make you more righteous than Jesus's life. That's what you're saying. If you think adding something to the cross will save you, you're saying that, that your ability to add to it will save you more than Jesus's perfect righteousness. So, that's what Paul is saying in that first section. Now, to some of you probably are stirring in your chairs, but let me just give you another example from Jesus' words, okay? In the Gospels, in Mark chapter eight, when Peter tries to rebuke Jesus, you guys probably remember this. So it says, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the Jewish leaders, be killed, and after three days rise again. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Jesus is like, I came to die for sinners and rise again. And Peter's like, hey, maybe you, you're new here. Maybe you don't get how Messiahs work, but you don't need to die, okay? So he's trying to like rebuke him. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say, get behind me, Peter, which he could have. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why does he say that? Because if you get the cross wrong, the meaning of the cross, the purpose of the cross, you're under the grips of Satan. 
There is only one right view of the cross, and that is that Jesus came to bear the judgment and condemnation that you and I deserve fully. He exhausted it. He paid death in full. He satisfied the wrath of God, and then in his perfect life, satisfied all the demands for holiness that the law requires. He was perfectly righteous before God. None of us can live the life that Jesus did. Nobody ever has and nobody ever will. Jesus said this in John 8, 46. He says, which one of you, talking to the Pharisees, convicts me of sin? Jesus claimed to be sinless. That's a crazy man if it's not true, if he's not who he said he is. The people who wanted to kill him could not find any fault in him, could not find any sin that he had committed. The only thing they could get on him was that he had committed blasphemy because he claimed to be God. But if he actually is, then it's true. Matthew 11, John the Baptist is in prison just to show you how everybody was offended by Jesus' teachings. The disciples were offended, even John the Baptist was offended. He's in prison and he's hearing about all the things Jesus is doing and he sends some messengers to Jesus and he says, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Listen to this. Blessed is the one who is not, what? Offended by me. The same word that Paul uses in this passage. Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So how can you actually take the offense out of the cross and really hear the words of Jesus when he himself said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me? Let me give you two reasons why I think we're so offended by the cross. Number one, we all have conditions and expectations for how we think our lives should go. And number two, we don't want to admit that we're broken. Those are the two biggest stumbling blocks to the cross is we, we have expectations of what our life should look like and we think we're good and we don't want to admit that we're broken. So what happens often is people come to Jesus and they kind of ask themselves, can this guy help me get to where I want to go on my trajectory of my life that I've already set? That's what they come and ask Jesus. And John the Baptist shows us that's actually the wrong question. The question you should ask is, is he the one? Is he the one who we've been waiting for? Is he the one who is to come? Because if he is the one who is to come, then everything's gonna be okay. You don't have to come to Jesus with these conditions about how you think your life should go because you can trust him if he is truly the one. Why does Jesus say it's the poor and the broken who are going to hear the good news? Now, nobody likes to say this out loud, but I'm gonna say it because it's important. It's in all of our hearts. When we've become successful in life, when we've done something, there's a feeling like 
I've done this, I've achieved this, I've worked hard, I went and got the education, I climbed the corporate ladder, I did all the right things. And so there's this deep sense that we're self-made, right? But when the poor who know they're not in control of their lives, right? Everything they have, they, they know is a gift from above. They know everything is by grace. When the poor hear the central message of Christianity that we're all sinners who need a savior, it's good news. But it's really hard for those of us who think we've achieved a lot to hear the offensiveness of Christianity. Most people who say they have a problem with Christianity intellectually, it's actually not that. The root of their offense is pride because they, they don't want to admit that at their core, they're actually in the same place as everybody else because they've spent their whole lives trying to prove to themselves and everybody else that they're good on their own. So for the people in here who are trying to come to Jesus for him just to fix some problem in your life, you're bringing your conditions to him first before you trust in him instead of asking what John asked, which is, is he the one? Because if he's the one, if he is who he said he is, think about how crazy it actually is to bring your conditions first to Jesus. Look at what he did to come to us. He's the Lord of the universe. He gave up his comfy life in heaven with his father. He passed through eternity, became a human, lived perfectly, suffered and died for you. If you want to know him, you have to give up every condition of what you think your life should look like. If he's the Lord of love, if he truly is who he said he is, and he died a humiliating death that you deserved on the cross, you have to drop every version of how you think your life should go and trust him. So, the gospel of grace is offensive. It will always be offensive and it always has been. But once you let, you let go of yourself, once you let go of your own conditions of how you think your life should go, it actually frees you to truly love others. Let me show you. Look at verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So this is a pattern in Paul's writings. He does this in the letter uh, to the Romans too. He's had enough conversations with Jews in the synagogues who basically have the objection. Well, if we're saved by grace, then won't that lead to lawlessness? Won't people just do whatever they want? And Paul's point and my point today to all of us is if you think being saved by grace because of what Jesus did for you means you can live however you want, then you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the grace that's been given to you. That means it truly hasn't changed your heart because it's once you see who Jesus is, all that he is for you in the gospel and what he's done for you. It's through seeing that that produces a life of serving and loving one another. Since Christ fulfilled the law for me and was perfectly righteous for me, 
It's through seeing that that produces a life of loving others freely. Paul puts it this way in Romans 13. He sums this up a little more clear. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul's saying, if you were to summarize the entire law of Moses, even though it's incredibly detailed, the whole point and purpose of the law for Israel was to show them, how do I love my neighbor? All of the commandments point to, how do I love my neighbor as myself? But under the new covenant, since Jesus has come, he fulfilled the law of God and he showed us an even clearer picture of giving up yourself for your neighbor. He showed us an even clearer picture of giving up himself on the cross to the point of death for his enemies. If that reality comes into your life, you will serve and love your neighbors. It has to happen. Let's get even more specific. Look at verse 26 for me. There's a word that Paul uses there that really helped me see this. And it's when he says, let us not become conceited. Now, if you look at the KJV uh, translation, the King James, uh, it uses the word vainglorious, which I actually think is a more helpful word for that Greek word, because in, in Greek, that word literally means empty of glory. And I don't speak old English, but F.F. F. Bruce does. <laughs> and what he says a vainglorious person does, a vainglorious person is someone desperate for affirmation and recognition on the inside. Okay, that's what a vainglorious person is. Since you sense an emptiness inside, you desperately go out and try to fill that void with recognition from others. You know you need to be recognized, and so you go out and try to use people for that recognition. That's the natural condition of the human heart. Paul puts it this way in Romans 1. He says, all of mankind knows we were made to serve God, but we suppress that truth in our sin. We all know there's a God. We all know there's a God, but we suppress that truth. And so, if we're all designed to serve God, that means we were all made to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we were all designed to hear. We desperately need the recognition of God. And because we don't have that, we try to go out into all of our relationships and use people to feel that need to be affirmed. So basically what we do is we use people like the marketplace. Can this person benefit me? Can this person make me feel better about myself? Can this, people, can this person affirm me? Can this spouse affirm me? Will serving this person make me feel better about myself? You see how selfish that is? That's the natural condition of the human heart. So how do we break free from that bondage of being obsessed with ourselves? How do I love and serve people when it's of no benefit to me? Because that's really what true love is. It costs you yourself. Love is you die to your needs and desires to do what's best for the other person, even when it's of no benefit to you. Where do we see an example like that, class? 
One of my favorite illustrations on this is from the brother of Elizabeth Elliot, uh, named Tom Howard, the f- uh, famous missionary. And he wrote about the tabernacle in the Old Testament inside the temple. And he said, God had all these details in the tabernacle. Everything had a certain purpose. Everything was very specific. But at the center of the tabernacle, there wasn't an image. There was an event. Because what was at the center of the tabernacle? Which really, if that was the presence of God on the earth, that was really the center of reality. So what was at the center of reality? A gold slab, the mercy seat. On the top of the Ark of the Covenant, over the law, where the blood was sprinkled, and what he says God is saying is at the very heart of reality is my life for yours. That's what God was saying. My life for yours. That is the essence of what reality is about, is my life for yours. That's the heart of creation and redemption, is my life for yours. But sin flips it. What sin does is sin says, your life for mine. You serve me. You sacrifice for me. You make me feel good. That's the vainglorious way. That's the empty of glory way to live. That's what sin does to our hearts is we flip it. But on the cross, Jesus said, my life for yours. He left all the comforts of heaven, left his position of glory with his father, and he gave it all up and he came to earth and he suffered. And the theme of his life was my life for yours. And those are really the two ways to live every day. Those are the choices we have when we wake up. We can do the vainglorious route and say, your life for me, you serve me, you make me feel good, I, you're here for me. That's the vainglorious way. Or we can do the way of the cross, which says my life for yours. So the gospel frees us from our self-obsession. The gospel gets my eyes off of me and it looks at him. The gospel says Jesus has loved me, served me, sacrificed for me, forgiven me, and now in him, I am fully loved, accepted, and forgiven in front of the only two eyes in the universe that actually matters. Think about that. The only two eyes in the universe whose opinion actually matters. You can, in Christ, you now stand before him perfectly righteous, fully accepted, fully known, fully loved. There is nothing in this world like that. And the freedom that that gives is now my life is not about a courtroom. I don't go around looking for approval from other people. I don't go around looking for verdicts. That's what our lives are every day is we're in the courtroom. But in the gospel, I'm out of the courtroom. And I look at the cross and I look at the empty tomb and I see my life through his death. In the gospel, the verdict is already in. Every other religion says the verdict comes after the performance. Christianity says the verdict comes before the performance. There's nothing else like that. And so in the gospel, the freedom that I have is at my savior's cross and at the empty tomb I don't need anything else from anybody. I have everything I need in him. And from that place, I can truly love other people. 
You know why? Because I don't need anything from you. I can serve you and love you and do what's best for you because I don't need anything from you. You know the freedom that that gives? Only the cross can give that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Lord, thank you for just this morning and the privilege and joy to um, come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and for the guests in the room uh, as well. Thank you for bringing them here. Um, Lord, just to hear from you through your word and hear the life-changing and earth-shattering news that is the gospel. That the recognition that all of us have been looking for all of our lives, that we desperately go out and try to get from other people, you came to give us that. You came to give us the only true approval and recognition that really matters, and that's yours, through your finished work. So thank you, Father, and I pray that um, for those who don't know you in the room, I can say a lot of things, but only you can raise people from the dead. Only you can give those words power. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that uh, during this time of response through communion and uh, uh, as we go about our days today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, all right. Welcome, Church at Home family. We are so glad that you are with us today by the grace of God. We are here today and have the opportunity uh, to discuss that amazing word from Ryan this morning. My name's Trey. This Uh, is Justin. I'm here. We're here. And then Melissa's over there moderating. Mm -hmm. And so thank you, Melissa, for all your help today. Uh, We're so excited uh, that you are here and taking the time to to discuss what we just learned about. Uh, But if you have any questions or if you'd like to get involved or if you have prayer requests, uh, we would love to come alongside you and do life with you. We just Mm -hmm. need you to scan that QR code there above my head and you will have the opportunity uh, to fill out a response form there. But without further ado, yes. we're going to get right back right. into the passage right. today. And again, Ryan did such a great job Didn't with he? going to this passage. So definitely love hearing from Ryan and uh, just how he teaches things. But Always. again, uh, let's start off by rereading the passage really quickly. And it's going from there. Uh, we're in Galatians 5, verses 7 through 15. It says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Powerful Yeah, passage. so it was super cool going through here. I know a lot of stuff that stuck out to me personally that I put in my notes. Um, but uh, one of our first questions that we like to go over, so what initially challenged you, convicted, or encouraged you uh, going through this passage today? Absolutely. Uh, in taking my notes uh-huh. and reviewing, uh, one of the things that, that really stuck out to me is, are we making Jesus only a moral example? Mm-hmm. Or are we allowing him and submitting to him 
uh, as our, our Savior and our mm-hmm. King, our Lord. And when I ask myself that, I start to think, you know, what what position do I put Jesus in my life? Mm-hmm. Where where am I putting Him in, in my life? Am I putting Him above uh, my family? Am I putting Him above my work, my career, my friendships, my hobbies? And it's a it's a convicting mm-hmm. thing to ask yourself. It, am I just using him as a teacher? Yes. And, and we were talking about this uh-huh. before, but that doesn't set us apart mm. as believers, as Christ followers, as followers of the mm. way. If we only look at Jesus as a moral example and a teacher, because mm-hmm. even other religions, even mm-hmm. people from from other parts of the world that believe in other religions, whether it be Hinduism or Muslims, they believe that Jesus is a good teacher. Mm. And so if that's the only way that we look at him, that doesn't set us apart as Christ yeah. followers, but rather you know, submitting to his saving grace, to the finished work that he's done and, and making him the mm. Lord and King of our hearts and our lives. That's what we're called to do, and yeah. so that was that was a really convicting right. moment for me. And yeah, just putting him in his right and appropriate position as well, yeah. uh, perceiving him for who he truly is. And again, when I was looking through this, I know that we talked. Pastor Will went through the first part of Galatians five, yeah. and I just went back to verse three, where Paul says, "I testify again to every man who accepts accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law." And that just was like. Well, I'm out. I can't, you know, I can't keep the whole law myself. Yeah. Um, but thank the Lord that he did. Um, yeah. And uh, another thing, because I love analogies. So Ryan <laughs> does a few analogies. I love the uh, muck cookie analogy that he did, yeah. you know. So uh, I thought that was super cool. I thought he was just going to say raisins. Because if he put raisins <laughs> in the good, I was like, I'm done. Agreed. I'm like, it's pretty much the same thing as muck cookies in my opinion. <laughs> but um, yeah, if it's not chocolate chip, then it's it's not worth eating in my opinion but uh anyway One i just thought thing. like if we add circumcision or another act or another act i feel like us as humans we if we give us an inch we're gonna take a mile and we're gonna go on and on and you know increase uh like the judaizers did of like oh, if it's just circumcision then we're gonna add something else and again it's it's so true that we can't add anything to the finished work of the gospel no. like we can't add and then if we take away it, it try to take away from the gospel as well like that's just bad so yes. i think that was definitely encouraging to me for sure going back to just the first part of the galatians 5 first part of yeah. galatians mm-hmm. my next question for you would be had you ever thought about the two ways of living that ryan described and, and, mm-hmm. and that he broke down that paul was presenting in the mm-hmm. chapter that vain glorious position versus the way of the cross had you ever even thought yeah, about that? no not in that sense um I was I I when he thought about when he said that I was thinking like man to be vainglorious um, just looking up like the definition of vain and then vanity as well just the word vanity came to mind um, again it's pretty much meaning you have an excessive uh, uh, idea of image success achievements and all that and like I'm like I don't want to do that but that's truly my heart you know yeah. uh, I just ran this half marathon and I was just like on this amazing field of like oh I just finished this or whatever and I'm like look at me I'm built different uh, but <laughs> uh, man that's so that's so ridiculous in a sense and yeah. again I'm like hey I did this so people can cheer for me or people can you know root me on whatever the case may be but thank the Lord that he doesn't have that view in a sense to where he gives his life. He lived a life, a perfect life, and he gave his life for us. 
And again, that's something that I'm thankful that he's opened my eyes to so where I can subscribe to um, where I submit to him because he has served me well, served us well in that sense. Yeah. So so true. The breath in our lungs, yes. the beat of our heart, mm. the, the muscles in our legs. Right. For the all marathon that. example, yeah. all of that is, you know, so and I and I was really struck by the point that he made that the root of why most non-believers mm. uh, fail to turn to Christ and, and to the gospel of Jesus mm. is pride. Yes. And so that falls right into that that vanity is that, that we have that pride in our success, mm-hmm. that idol of success that we make as, as men and women, mm. you know, in the world, but also especially in our culture. Mm. There's this, this idol of that that we make. Yeah. And, and so. the, I think there's a limit to what we can can do and achieve as well. Like, again, I could run a half marathon or whatever, but I can't make my legs stop hurting at the, at the moment. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's a limit to, you know, what we can achieve. Uh, but again, when it comes down to gospel, there's a limit, a limitless uh, supply of grace, love, mercy, graciousness. Um, Amen. So, again, thank the Lord that. We can subscribe to that compared to subscribing to what we can do in our finite ways. So, again, so praise the Lord for that. Amen, brother. Amen. Um, all right, next question, Trey. Uh, so, how can we walk daily in the freedom of the cross? And how does that affect how we have our horizontal relationships with each other? Absolutely. I, I think back to the scripture that Ryan referenced, which was Romans mm-hmm. 13. So, if you got yeah. your Bibles, Romans 13. Uh, 9 through 10, which reads, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any Mm -hmm. other commandment are summed up in this word. Mm -hmm. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the Mm -hmm. law. Nice. And... Jesus himself said that he did not come to abolish the law, but he mm-hmm. came to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And so in his life, he perfectly yes. lived, he perfectly loved, and he showed us his love perfectly mm-hmm. through the sacrifice that he was willing to make on the cross and through his obedience to the Father in doing that. Mm-hmm. And when we submit to that, when mm-hmm. we live in that, how much greater is the love that we were able to share for others. It, it's it's amazing. You, right. you find yourself being moved by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to speak to others and treat others and serve others in a way that, that would not be of your own, that does right. not fulfill right. that vain, glorious yes. desire that we have naturally from the world, mm-hmm. but instead it becomes a supernatural love that just mm-hmm. overflows and pours out of us. And it's a wonderful thing. And and praise God for that. Praise God mm-hmm. for the love that he showed us, but also for the love that he, he gives us and allows us to show others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just taking from that, again, the freedom that we talked about again last week and yeah. how, how liberty is such a great feeling in Christ. Uh, it's, it's unparalleled, it's unmatched. Um, but also, we, we can take that freedom and we can uh, have the gospel empowered us through the Holy Spirit as well to forgive others, to mm-hmm. show grace and be gracious to, to others as well. Like, how powerful is that? And regardless of what situation we may be going through, whatever the, the world is, uh, the happiness of the world is going on, uh, this country, our state, our city, 
whatever the case may be, the gospel is powerful enough to take it. And we have the freedom through the gospel to take it and share it with whoever, whenever, um, at whatever time. And again, that's, that's just awesome to, my, uh, to me. And also just being able to forgive and to reconcile with people as well. Yeah. I mean, how powerful it is to be able to reconcile with you know, your enemy or to be able to share the gospel with them and show peace instead of showing hostility. Again, uh, God is the ultimate um, peacemaker of, even though we were hostile and enemies of him, yeah. he still showed and loved us so well, so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while we, get we were take, still sinners. While we were still sinners, again, back in Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to, because he gave us his freedom, we are able to share that with others as well. So again, I mean, uh, us as imperfect humans, we may not have perfect horizontal relationships, um, but again, we still have the power of the gospel to be able to share and give it to others and, uh, again, reconcile with them. Um, I know that's tough. I know I'm going through uh, relationships where, you know, reconciliation isn't easy, but again, with the power of the gospel and his word and his finished work, it is that much more easier and the freedom um, from that is priceless. So thank the Lord for that. Truly, truly. Amen. Guys, we just want to close out by saying that we love you. And we're Mm -hmm. thankful for all of you who are tuning in. We know it's Memorial Day weekend, Mm -hmm. so we may have some of our our late goers or vacationers Mm -hmm. or just got out of schoolers. Uh, tuning in that may not normally tune in, uh, but we're thankful that you guys are here and, and we mm-hmm. pray that uh, the Lord may bless you and keep you and give you peace. And uh, if you have any prayer requests, again, we'd love for you to submit those, mm-hmm. respond to those so that we can come alongside yeah. you. If you're here locally, we'd love to yes. see you in person. Mm-hmm. Justin will give you a big hug. Yes, and- I'm definitely <laughs> a big hugger. So again, if you guys come back from your vacation to Lake or the beach or wherever, yeah, please come through, hang out with us. We'd love to meet you guys in person. I know Trey, he's he's awesome as well. So Stop I'll it. be trying to hang out with him <laughs> after this for sure. Uh, you're embarrassing me, Justin, <laughs> for all these people. Guys, we hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Bye.